Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Okay, life is not like a box of chocolates, but it's possible that life is like a box of crayons. So if your life were a box of crayons, which color would you be? Mm -hmm. What is the color of your life? We're talking today about being green. Not like Kermit the Frog, but like a green leaf. How green is your leaf? I want you to, your leaf life. Mm -hmm. I want you to consider your life today like a leaf. And we're going to talk about just how green your leaf is. So our Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Proverbs 11, verse 28. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. So the the person trusting in themselves, their own riches, you know, all that's stored up in the the barns and the storehouses and the bank accounts um, and the assets, like, you know, you're you're just going to like fall to the ground like a dead leaf. But the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. And the image there is the image of a leaf green in every season, a leaf pulsing and coursing with the lifeblood of the tree or the vine. Um, The the image is of um, the leaf of the tree described in Revelation 22. Um, Remember that tree that's growing on both sides of the river of life. Uh, The tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Not not healing like like the physical healing of people, but um, the deep healing that comes between people and people groups and uh, in order that people might live in peace with one another and thrive. We want to be those kind of leaves, and we want to be the leaves of that tree. So, um, are you trusting in riches? Those will fail, and you will fall. But the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. So, think of yourself for a moment as a leaf. Um, And hold that leaf in your mind's eye or in the palm of your hand and examine it. Like, consider it. Does your leaf life look healthy? Has it gotten enough sunlight, enough living water, or is it eaten up with bugs or shriveled up by the negative effects of the climate you're living in? Turn your leaf over. You know, on the backside of the leaf, you can see its veins. Consider it closely. Is it a healthy shade of green or some anemic shade of yellow or brown? Is it supple? Are its veins full? Or is it withered? Consider the veins of your leaf life. Are you surging with the blood of the one who is the true vine? Is he coursing through your veins today? 
Today's verse reminds us that when we trust in God and rely on his promises, we're rooted in a life that brings flourishing and produces righteous fruit to the glory of God, like a healthy tree with deep roots, strong branches, a full crown of leaves, a life devoted to not the things of this world or its riches, because that's like a dead stump, a withering leaf, but a life devoted that's God-ordered and God-oriented, a life planted in streams of living water, flourishing, a life that produces the fruit of righteousness in every season. I want to be that kind of leaf. I hope you do too. You familiar with the, um, the story of the country mouse and the city mouse, or sometimes the country mouse and the town mouse? One of Aesop's fables. Are you a country mouse or are you a city mouse? We're going to talk about the fable and what it looks like in 2023 here in the United States. Are you a country mouse? Are you a city mouse? Is it possible you're a city mouse that's moved to the country? We have you in view next with our friend Jeff Bilbro. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Jeff Bilbro is back, our friend from Grove City College and the Front Porch Republic. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. All right, so at FrontPorchRepublic.com, there is an essay about the country mouse in 2023. Who is the country mouse in 2023, and why does the city mouse want to move to the country? Yeah, John Clark has this interesting uh, reflection on that old fable, which has gone through many iterations. But, you know, generally in the fable, the the, uh, city mouse comes out to the country mouse, uh doesn't really like the plain fare, the boring lifestyle. And so they both go back to the city. The country mouse doesn't like the hectic hustle and bustle and the dangers of the city. So country mouse goes back to the country. And it's kind of a, you know, some people are suited to the opportunities and challenges of urban life. And some people are suited to the opportunities and challenges of, of country life. And we need both to kind of, you know, uh, you can almost think about it in terms of of uh, Paul's description of the body of Christ that we need different members. But Clark talks about how in um, and he, he draws heavily on Wendell Berry's essay, "The Work of Local Culture," but how in recent decades uh, the relationship between the two has between country and city has become more antagonistic, um, and even post COVID, as a lot of people are leaving cities and looking for more rural lifestyles uh so even as people are moving to the country they're often taking their city expectations and city demands with them uh, in ways that can can be destructive to rural areas so yeah it's definitely a challenging dynamic i think um hey if you listen if you live uh in the country and you've lived there a long long time and you have um experienced or are experiencing um people moving to the country from the city. Love to hear from you on the text line, how that's changing things. 877-933-2484. Maybe you are a farm family and the next generation has moved to the city and they're not coming yeah. back. Um, because that's another part of this conversation, Jeff. Like the, um, the, all of the human assets that move from the country, let's say, to the city leaves rural communities bereft of some of the resources that they need. Can we talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, that's one of Barry's points in his essay that there's the cities tend to exert this centripetal force, drawing uh, young people, educated people away uh, with, you know, good economic opportunities. But but then they leave a real vacuum uh, in in the rural areas behind them. And often the only return that is made uh, is uh, garbage being shipped out of cities or um yeah, not not real opportunities going back. So people in the country can feel both uh, exploited and then left behind, and and then having a few uh, people want to leave their city to come out and find a nice home and, and drive up your property prices is not a great return. The um the 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 trash. Uh, part of this narrative certainly caught my attention. Again, we're talking with Jeff Bilbro. He and I are reflecting on a piece that's posted at FrontPorchRepublic.com about the country mouse in 2023. Um, the, the whole notion that we would generate so much garbage that hundreds of acres of land um, would have a depth of garbage now that really is hard to imagine. And I guess I, I think about like, archaeological digs and the things that they find um, and that hundreds of years from now, thousands of years from now, somebody is going to dig up that part of Vermont that has become a more than 100-acre landfill. And they're going to say to themselves, what, what were these people? Who, who were these people? What is all this plastic trash? Yeah, and uh, it's a kind of, it's a, definitely a nationwide problem even worldwide, but uh, with these massive landfills um, in places that don't, that lack the political power to, to push them away. And so they get stuck with them and they just keep growing and growing and the uh, trash comes from all over the place. And it is when you, when you live far away, you don't have to see it. It's uh, easy to ignore. But if you have one in your county or area, every time you drive by, you smell it, you see it. And uh, you wonder, you know, what it's doing to your water and your air. Yeah, I am. Um, uh, I have extended family in uh, a very rural part of of Indiana, and I remember when their county became a host to a landfill, and how that, I mean, literally, like changed um, not just the smell, right, of their of their community, but it changed the. Um, the horizon, because yeah. Indiana is flat as a pancake, and this landfill grew and grew and grew and grew and grew, and now is this like weird mountain in, um, you know, in rural Indiana, um, and it's a mountain of trash. And so, yeah, they're not alone, but um, yeah, it's a uh, lots to reflect on as people who are stewards of of this good gift of the earth that God has given us, and what it means, you know, not only to till the cultural conversations of the day, but to actually consider the soil um, and the land and the communities that uh, that exist in both um, cities and rural uh, rural rural spaces across uh, this great land. So we love talking with you about it. Um, Jeff, when we come back, can we talk about issues of life and death? Um, I have a, I've had a number of conversations recently with friends uh, who who have had cause to talk about um, issues related to life and death. And there's a piece at Front Porch Republic on dying well that I thought we might talk about next. Sounds good. All right. 
So um, are you living well and are you living right now to die well? What, what is good death? What does that mean? What would that mean in your family? What would that mean for you? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here and We all need prayer, and, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com, and then be assured of our prayers for you in the Spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with our friend Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College. Um, we're looking at a piece at FrontPorchRepublic.com, Living to Die Well. Frank DeVito is the author of this piece. It leads, my wife's grandfather died at the age of 95 on Monday of Holy Week. He was affectionately called Pop. He was the last of either of our grandparents, the last of his siblings, the last of a generation to pass away. His life, his final months, and his final moments serve as a timely example to our culture. We ought to live with the realization that we must die and that dying well matters. Um, It goes on to talk about um, Pop's life, um, his his early life, his professional life, his family. Um, And then there's this paragraph. What mattered at the end was that Pop had eight grandchildren, 35, oh, eight children, 35 grandchildren and 44 great grandchildren at the time of his death. More on the way. He raised his family with love, and that love was returned. He also died in the church, capital C, filled with faith and ready to pass from this earthly life to the next. His life was one of fruitfulness, and that completely transformed the experience of his final years, his final months, and his final moments on earth. Um, Every family must have these conversations, and yet we seem to avoid them at almost all costs. It's yeah, just my observation, why. Jeff. I mean, I just, yeah, we just. I think you're right. And that's why it's so important that we have opportunities to, uh, and, when we, and when they come up, we take them to attend funerals regularly. Uh, we need to be reminded of death and to have those chances to reflect on the shape of a full life and, and allow that to kind of reset some of our priorities that can get askew in the daily hustle and bustle uh, some things become clear when you look back from the end. And I think, um, you know, as Frank talks about this essay, apparently Pop had a remarkable career, but that really becomes um, insignificant, right, at the end of his life uh, when he's no longer productive in ways that maybe he once was. Uh, and the things that are really significant, as you point out, are his faith, uh, his family, the relationships that he cultivated. Um, so, yeah, I, I think keeping the reality of our impending death in front of us and reflecting on how we ought to live in light of that reality is definitely a challenge in a culture like ours that tends to, 
to marginalize and, and want to ignore the uh, the reality of our death. There's a paragraph in here that says, everyone ought to pause and remember that all of our lives will inevitably end in death. How often do we f- reflect on whether our lives are leading us toward a good, holy death? We all ought to spend our final months or days in the moment of our death as Pop did. Um, yet many of us do not live a life likely to end in such a beautiful and holy way. Um, nor, nor will most of us die surrounded by so many um, people. He, um, he was surrounded moment by moment, hour after hour, day upon day, night after night, um, by these generations of his family. And I think that in the culture in which we live today, um, even for the aged who have families, this experience of um, constant loving attention is unusual. Yeah, that's right. Um, which I guess it is, again, you know, it, you can't uh, manufacture that at the end of a life if you haven't lived um, for decades uh, in ways that will make that at least more likely. You can't guarantee that your family will be there for all kinds of reasons, uh, but you can um, invest in family and relationships over the decades so that uh, when the time comes, those people will want to be present with you. And I, it also reminds me that, um, you know, there are a number of, a lot of, an increasing number of single individuals who never married or if they married, never had children. Um, and this stage, age and stage of life arrives and um, the family of faith, the forged family, the the body of believers m- must of necessity become the family that attends like the yeah. I'm thinking here about, you know, Jesus saying to his disciple, John, this is your mother, mother. This is yeah. now your son. Like um, the way that we become genuinely the family um, for members of the body of Christ um, who who have no family but us. Yeah, that's exactly right, Carmen. And I think, you know, sometimes people, I don't know, shame single people for not getting married, not having kids. Um, but a lot of people, they they might want to be in the place of pop, but for reasons beyond their control that hasn't happened or they don't have that opportunity. And I think it's really important that as the church, um, we provide that kind of community and that kind of uh, manifestation of the presence of Christ to one another as we go through these um, life events, particularly uh, as we journey toward death, uh, especially when you know there's sickness or aging, and the end is is clearly coming. I read a um, uh, a, a note this morning. Um, you know, here in the United States, most people will will live a long life. Um, and then they will die of a preventable or treatable disease. Um, it will, in all likelihood, be be cancer, or it will be um, heart failure of one variety or another, or it will be uh, the kinds of diseases that tend to ravage the aged. Um, yeah. That's not true around the world. Um, in Africa, you are much more likely to die of Ebola, HIV, AIDS, dengue, syphilis, malaria, rabies, or the common cold. Um, than you are to die of the things that uh, people in the United States of America die from. And um, and so death is um, 
a more constant presence in the lives of other people around the world than it, it we have we have removed it in many many ways from our homes here in the United States of America and we have removed it and we have sanitized it and we have turned it into a technological experience where you are deciding whether or not to turn off a machine because that is what is keeping the person you love alive um and this this mechanization of death um, is such a different experience than any other generation before ha- us and many people around the world um, because they don't have access to this kind of medical technology. And so they don't experience the sort of mechanized or technologicalized version of death that many of us have these very hard choices to make um, about people we love at the end of their lives. And so it's it's complicated. It's complex. I want people to be talking about it. And obviously, as people of faith, I don't want us to be grasping at the end of life for a life that is waning. I want us to be reaching toward, with great expectation, the life that is offered to us um, in, in eternity. Yeah, amen. So, appreciate your um, your talking with us about about these things and um, and for the ongoing conversation we get to have with you. We we really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Karen. Yeah, that's our friend Jeff Bilbro. You can find him at Grove City College. You can find what we talked about today at FrontPorchRepublic.com. Front Porch Republic is one of those, um, what I'll just describe as like aggregating websites um, that you can go to and read rich, thoughtful commentary at the intersection of the Christian faith and life lived in the reality of the world today. Um and you won't find, um, like, news headline commentary. You're going to find um, more deep, thoughtful reflection on, you know, what it means to live as earthly beings on the earth, um, but as people of faith in the midst of all of it. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I know we've talked about um, what is happening uh, in the island nation of Haiti, but um, we need to turn our attention and focus there again this morning. Uh, let this be a cause of prayer. Let this be. Um, um, let let this. Three hundred families <clears throat> already this year, and it, it, it's only August, but three hundred families um, in Haiti just this year. Um, have experienced either their mother or their child being kidnapped and subjected to all the horrors that you can imagine a kidnapped victim by a armed gang um, desiring to have financial or tactical gain on the streets of Haiti these days. Um, these victims are subjected to all kinds of horrors physical and psychological. Um, Many of these victims, most of these 300 victims, ransoms have been paid, and these women and or these children have been returned to their families, but they are returned to their families as different people. Um, Today, there are, um, there's about half of the Haitian population, 5.2 million people in desperate need of humanitarian assistance. Um, of that 5.2 million, 3 million are children. It is a nation literally um, in, in, in total crisis. 
And um, the U.S. has ordered American citizens to leave. Um, And once you arrive at the place where um, Americans have been ordered out by our government, um, you know that the situation is so dire that we don't consider it a safe place for people to be. But obviously not everyone can leave. And so we want to be praying for the nearly 11 million people who live in Haiti, the more than 5 million who um, have no way of providing for themselves and um, have been reliant upon humanitarian assistance. And that humanitarian assistance is largely packed up and left. It is a nation um, ruled by gangs in the street and kidnapping of children and women where those gangs think, think that resources um, would be paid, um, that, is, that is now the, um, the game of the day. It is, Haiti is just not far from us geographically, and yet the people there are living um, a world away. So we want to be praying for them. We want to be praying for those whom God has there. We want to be praying for um, brothers and sisters in Christ in Haiti. It is the most, uh, it has been the nation with the most intentional evangelism focus, um, if you were to add up all of the ministries that have returned from trips to Haiti um, and said that they have led people there to Christ, conversions, um, the nation of Haiti has been converted to Christ numerically by the count of American ministries um, two or three times. Uh, So obviously um, something there is not accurate in the count. And so um, let's be praying that God would send um, redemptive power in ways that right now we, we cannot even imagine. There is no plan, by the way. Um, there is no human plan for the rescue of the Haitian people at this point um, or for their uh, political redemption. And so let's be praying for God to make a way and, um, and bring peace. We're going to talk with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News about some other things going on around the world In the meantime, let's be praying for the people of Haiti. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Ruth Kramer is joining us now from Mission Network News. You can find what we're talking about today and a lot of other information at missionnews.org. Ruth, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Oh, um, I am well. It is well with my soul. Um, Life is full of interesting challenges. And there is a gnat in my studio and he's been here now for more than a day and he's bugging me. So that's what's going on. Set out your cup of coffee. Don't look at it. And then mm-hmm. fish it. him out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Little protein in your coffee. Um, let's talk about Niger um, or, or Niger depending on who you're talking with and how they're pronouncing it. What, what is happening? And Lynn, let's, let's actually remind people geographically, because I was having a conversation about this, and then I realized the person was thinking Nigeria. Um, so Niger, Nigeria, not the same place. Um, what's going on in Niger? Uh, well, Niger is actually a landlocked country. Uh, Ni- Nigeria is to the south of its border. And so if you're kind of thinking of geography, you've got Algeria up to the northwest, Libya to the northeast, Chad to immediately to the east. Um, and then you've got to the like northwest below Algeria, you've got Mali, Mauritania, Burkina Faso. 
just kind of all of those countries surrounding the country of Niger. Um, and it's one of these things where you could easily see that uh, being destabilized in Niger is, is risking the stability of the entire Sahel region. Um, because in Niger, this is basically where uh, it's the the staging area for the counterterrorism efforts throughout West Africa. So the whole regional instability kind of is hinged on what's going on in Niger. The, the fact that you have um, yet another coup with some unsettled issues uh, about who's actually in charge um, is a, a huge concern. Uh, not only by the neighboring countries of the neighboring countries, but also of the West African bloc of countries that are working together, ECOWAS, and of course in the international community, because um, the the efforts to deal with the insurgencies and the and the uh, Islamic State really stem from what was going on in Niger. Um, also, when you consider that uh, nearby Burkina Faso and Mali. Uh, have thrown their hats into the ring to support the military coup in Niger uh, is disconcerting at best because of all of the instability that you have coming in from those countries. Um, in fact, there was a terror attack this week in Burkina Faso, and um, it was just one of those things where uh, someone attacked a marketplace, and, and it is the Islamist extremists that are that are in charge of this. Um, the situation in Mali is so unstable that people are being warned away from going in there because of, again, similar insurgencies from Islamist extremists. So the, the, this is basically a litmus test for West Africa's democracy. Um, and it's also an area where you have a lot of ministries that have been trying to uh, uh, set down roots. So, um, when you have this, this, I don't know, um, it's an imbalance of power. It's, it's, uh, feeling like the, the structure that has been set up is very, uh, rickety. Um, there are a lot of concerns about what's going to happen in the near future. Um, just because of this, the, the, the area, the region, what's at stake here, um, ministries like World Mission are keeping a very close eye on that. And they're not going to be sending teams in or out, but they are uh, resourcing the partners that are on the ground there with things like the solar-powered audio Bibles called the Treasures. And those teams are still going out and about throughout the country, despite the instability, despite the risks that are going on. Because what they're hearing from other partners on the ground who are taking the gospel to people groups that are previously unreached is that they are desperate for hope, that they really are responsive to the message of the gospel, to the message and the hope of Jesus Christ, and they need to have discipleship. They are, they are so hungry for God's word that these teams are willing to risk their security and their safety to get these solar-powered audio Bibles out into those hands as small churches are starting to spring up uh, in and around the different preaching points and ministry sites. So that's something to really be praying for. Um, Niger feels like it is uh, playing a game of chicken with the international community. ECOWAS basically said, you know, if you don't uh, restore the government to the duly elected president by Sunday, this is this past Sunday, then we are going to come in with military force. And basically the junta said, mm, I don't think so. Your move. And that's kind of what they're, what they're doing right now. They, they're testing the, um, the, how strong the purpose is of ECOWAS to try to restore what's going on. Um, involving a country like Niger, in war would also bring in Burkina Faso and Mali 
And then you'd have their allies who would be coming in too. So it could really uh, unravel very quickly. Uh, people are asking us to be praying for cooler heads here, that God would give wisdom um, and that God would actually change hearts in these areas um, because this is all really stemmed on trying to control what's going on with the radical extremists. Uh, there are folks on the text line asking um, about the Cornerstone Christian group of missionaries from Antioch, California. Um, I reported that um, they had been stranded um, in in uh, Niger following uh, the coup. And so I can report that they did arrive back home in the United States a couple of days ago. I think that um, one of the things that I'm mindful of when we when we read and talk about Christians um, going to places where we know there is unrest, we know um, there is certainly the possibility of um, a challenge to their being able to to leave, um, and then all the resources as a nation that we bring to bear on making sure they get out and get home. Um, and just recognizing that the people who live there can't leave. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere safe to go. And they don't have a government that, um, or a church, frankly, that is trying to liberate them in any particular way. And so it's just a sober, um, a sober truth about the world we live in and the incredible resources that we have as Christians in the United States of America. Um, and I just, I guess I just want people to be thinking through why you would be physically going to a place instead of just sending resources to a ministry that's already on the ground, Christians already on the ground, who are much more likely um, than you and I as outsiders to actually bring the gospel to bear in um, in transformative ways inside those cultures and communities. So if you want to connect with a, with a ministry that's already on the ground somewhere around the world, um, Mission Network News is a wonderful place to Find out who's there, what they're doing, and how you can support them. So again, missionnews.org. When we come back, we're going to ask Ruth what is happening in India. It's now the most populous nation in the world. Um, As you know, it is um, largely not Christian. So what is happening um, in uh, in one part of India, and how how can we be praying for them and supporting Christian ministries that are active in the region. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Have you ever wondered where God is when you feel like you need him most? Do you recognize that he's closer than your next breath? Are you confident in that? Do you trust in that? Susie Larson has a brand new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? And we're giving away 100 copies of it this month. So we want you to win yours at myfaithradio.com. Dot com. I want to encourage you right now that there is nothing like living in the fullness of the presence of God moment by moment. No matter what is going on, you can live as a person who is content in the presence of God. God is literally with you always, closer than your next breath, and we want you to experience that. So grab a copy of Closer Than Your Next Breath. You can sign up to win one at MyFaithRadio.com. We're talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find what we're talking about at missionnews.org. Uh, Ruth, the um, the nation of India is uh, not only the most populous in the world, it's really diverse. So take us into, um, you know, one particular part of India. Um, re- remember that our geography um, is, 
is bad and we need help uh, in terms of understanding where something is taking place. So um, what what is going on and what part of India do we have in view in this conversation? Uh, we're looking at Manipur State, which is in the northeast part of the country. Um, if you're thinking about geography and some names that you may be familiar with, um, the Indian states of Nagaland are to the, is to the north, Assam is to the west, Mizoram to the southwest, and Myanmar is bordering on the south and east part of this particular state. Um, what we're seeing here is uh, a conflict that has a lot of tribal overtones to it, but also a lot of religious overtones to it because it's pitting two people groups, the Metes and the Kukis, against each other. Kukis have a, a large population that are traditionally Christian, and the Metes are tr- traditionally Hindu. Um, so what you have is a tribal tension already that was kind of exacerbated into full-blown conflict. On May 3rd, uh, that erupted into horrific violence. Um, the government was trying to uh, the state government, I should say, was trying to extend benefits and jobs that were once exclusively reserved for the Kukis because they were minorities and they were ex- extending those benefits to the Metes. And so that led to um, violence that has been so extreme that it has actually triggered a no-confidence motion against Narendra Modi's government. That is the federal government in India. And that vote is supposed to be coming down sometime this week. Um, it's unlikely that even if it does pass, even if the the you know no confidence vote uh, goes through, um, that the it's unlikely that the BJP is actually going to lose its grip on power. Um, but it will serve a couple of purposes. Uh, it'll draw attention to the government's inaction can, uh, with regard to this conflict, because up until recently, uh, Narendra Modi has not even addressed what's going on in Manipur state, whereas a lot of other people are looking at it and just saying, this is awful. Why isn't the federal government bringing in any resources to assist uh, the state government in trying to to bring this conflict to, to heal? Um, and, and that's a good question. Um, he really hasn't addressed it publicly except for one time um and and then the other service the the other thing that it might actually help is to galvanize opposition uh against the bjp because they're basically saying this is an inactive government he doesn't actually care for everyone as as he promises he would um this is not a surprise to people who've been working with the minorities in india but it is something that uh the wider population just needs to be aware of. So that vote is coming down this week. Um, the violence that it, that is occurring in Manipur has extended beyond your typical riot violence, where you have things that are destroyed, where you have things that are burned. You have people who are beaten up, who are maybe killed by the violence. Now you've included sexual assault as part of the weapon uh, I guess as as one of the weapons uh, that are being used to terrify the uh, the minorities in Manipur state. So again, it's the Metes against the Kukis, and um, these are these are communities that have had a lot of difficulty uh, over the years. Um, there was a, there was a period where uh, it seemed like things were get, they were getting along pretty well, but it doesn't take very much to just scratch below the surface and you see this simmering tension that just easily is provoked into a full blown. Um, uh, conflagration like we're seeing right now in Manipur State. Our partners, A3, that's formerly Asian Access, 
have a have contacts within the in that particular state. They have work that is going on where they are discipling and uh, educating church leaders and how to be a church leader, how to grow the body of Christ. Um, and they're being severely challenged right now just because of what is going on. Not only is it risky to be out and about, but it is uh, a situation where it's very difficult to disciple, to mentor the people that are coming underneath you because um, they're either underground or um, they're they're unwilling to uh, to risk uh, going out at this point um, because of of how easily you can get caught up in this kind of thing. I'm uh, I'm reading here. Um, Pastor Mang is asking us to pray with him uh, that the Lord would intervene and end the violence in Manipur. So we're going to do that, Father. We come alongside our brother in Christ and our brothers and sisters in this uh, particular part of India, and we pray with Pastor Mang that you would stop the madness, that you would bring peace, that you would um, restore people. Um, Holy God, um, much healing will be necessary on the other side, but the cessation of violence must come first. And so, Holy God, um, pour forth peace in ways that will open hearts and minds to the reality that you are and that you are God and that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, We have talked a number of times, Ruth, with you about Lebanon over the course of years. Um, What is happening uh, what is happening there? God is uh, God is doing good work as He always does, and those uh, those stories are important for us to tell as well. You know, one of those things with Lebanon. Um, uh, I was talking to someone, and he he said that Lebanon is basically the Haiti of the Middle East. Um, it's a small country. It is well resourced, but there's just so much corruption going on in the government that all of the resources are mismanaged. And when you have one thing tip the scale just a little bit, it everything falls apart. Um, the country has been facing crisis after crisis after crisis, probably since um, since the end of the Civil War. And uh, it seemed like there was a, a period where things were going okay. But then you had the Syrian refugee crisis, and uh, a third of the population now in Lebanon are Syrian refugees because of the situation that has occurred, of course, in Syria just over the border. Um, and then as you saw other things coming on, uh, coming to bear, you saw um, the, the cholera incidents, you saw COVID issues, you, you saw um, the, the blast, the port blast that occurred in 2020, and it just seems like they never get a break because right after that, it exacerbated an economic crisis, and and that's where they are right now. There is no sitting government. They are in free fall in terms of the economy, and it, it makes ministry extremely challenging. A lot of the Lebanese have lost hope, and this is especially coming to the forefront this week because of the three-year anniversary of that port blast. There wasn't anybody in Lebanon that wasn't affected in some way. Um, so this is something that Heart for Lebanon has been dealing with. But here's what we like to see. We like to hear these stories about where these ministries have have been really effective. And one of the things that Heart for Lebanon does is they offer worship gatherings and Bible studies and discipleship classes. And they they encounter different people um, in in their struggle, uh, in their search for hope because of the difficult situation in, in Lebanon. One of these young men, his name is Maroon, and he actually served in the Civil War 
um, that span like between 1975 and 1990. He's a young man, but uh, he was serving at the end of the Civil War. And in that situation, he became he was wounded and lost one of his legs. And because of the loss of his limb, it affected his ability to be able to work. It affected just pretty much every aspect of his life. And because of the difficulty of, his, of circumstances in his life, he became angry and bitter and full of hate. Everybody around him was an enemy, and he was a very harsh person. Um, and it was he didn't have any friends. He was isolated. Um, and someone invited him to a Bible study at Heart for Lebanon. So what was interesting was uh, when we spoke with Camille Melke about this young man, he said, uh, you know, he he came to the Bible study because he was in search of of something to find out whether or not he could be loved. He wanted to see if maybe someone loved him. And that's where he encountered the gospel. And he encountered mm. the love of Jesus Christ. So shortly after he became a follower of Christ, he was baptized and he emerged from the water with his radiant smile on his face. And he basically proclaimed that he had no more enemies on earth. He declared that uh, he was praising Jesus. He was one of the, the the children of God and he had no more enemies. This is what the gospel does for people who are searching it's for hope, who are desperately seeking something that is different from what they've been trying uh, in, in, in earthly terms. Ruth, thank you um, so much for uh, for sharing this story. This is uh, this is now a brother in Christ, um, and what a gift, right? I mean, what what a gift to to not only know the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, but for this person, Maron, to um, to have a life transformed and to be restored um, to to community and to relationship. Um, not only with God, but with um, with other human beings, and so very, very grateful and thankful for the ministry of um, of uh, Heart for Lebanon. We have featured them here before. I want to encourage you to continue to pray for them. You can read these stories and connect with these ministries at missionnews.org. Ruth, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate you having us. Absolutely. Let's take a quick break, and then uh, we'll wrap up hour one and. Move into hour two. I'm also going to give you an update on what happened. Um, follow on to our conversation with Mark Caleb Smith yesterday. What happened in Ohio? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All righty. Um, yeah, those of you asking uh, what what happened uh, in Ohio, a lot of people showed up to vote. It was a, a bit of a, a surprising turnout Voters in Ohio um, voted not to change the way that their their state constitution is amended. Um, And so they have rejected um, that measure, which would have increased the uh, the vote votes, the percentage of votes necessary to change the state's constitution from 50 percent to 60 percent. Um, so they have voted to keep the current process of passing constitutional amendments in Ohio, which means that 50 percent plus one is all that is necessary to change the state's constitution. That does pave the way for a proposed. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.